Okay, good evening, everybody. I am so glad you're here as we kick off our new semester of midweek activities. It has been a while since we've done everyone together on Wednesday night, so I'm excited about us getting back into this model, at least for this semester. And so just kind of a quick heads up of how we're going to structure things on this. is The plan each week as we come in is to start around 6 here, and we'll do about 40, 45 minutes of talking about the attributes of God in a setting in here with all of us together. And then at 6.45, we're going to split up and we're going to move to the gym building where we have a chance to go deeper in discussion with one another. So there'll be three groups in the gym building. There'll be a couples group where you'll have a chance if, you're, if you want to be with your, your spouse or if you're dating and you're with your girlfriend or boyfriend and you all want to be together with couples, you can go together to that. So there's a couples group. Ronnie and Sheila back here. Wave your hand, Ronnie and Sheila. They're going to be facilitating that one for us. So you'll, you'll be with them. We're going to have a ladies group. And so ladies, even if your husband's here and you want to go separate from him, you're welcome to do that. No one's going to think y'all are having marital problems, but we know that some of you really do benefit and enjoy being in an all-women's group to pray together and share together. So husbands and wives, if you want to go to separate men's and women's groups, you are welcome to do so. No one's going to judge you for marital problems if you do so. But the ladies are going to go with Trish Butterfield. Trish is over here. They're going to also be in the gym building. And then the men who want to come with me, um, will be William and I, we'll be back in the men's room like we've done in the past on that. So the signs on the doors, but the couples go to room one, ladies room two, and the men by the Coke machine in room four. We'll split up at 645. You have about 30 minutes of discussion talking about how this attribute of God we've talked about changes our lives. And then we'll take about 10 minutes in the end to pray with one another and for one another. Just like we've seen the last six weeks, we want to be a praying church and we'll have a chance to practice that together. So again, however you want to structure that, if you're a married couple, if you want to go together to couples or split up and spend some time just with men and women, you're welcome to do whatever will serve your family best. So we're kicking off tonight with two things. We're going to give an overview of the attributes of God. And we're talking about the first attribute, the unity of God. So first of all, does everyone have one of these when you came in? If not, there's someone on a music stand in the back here and here. There's two handouts. One's a schedule and one is the handout. We're going to use this each week. First of all, you have a schedule. This shows you what weeks we're meeting apart from Thanksgiving break and our projected schedule. Now, this could change if we move stuff around. If one of the elders really wants to teach a certain attribute and there's a better week for him, we might move one or two of the topics around. But he gives you the big picture of where... We're headed with that. And then each week we'll have a handout like this for you as well. And the idea is, is we cover a lot of ground and looking at a lot of Scripture. This will help us have a place to quickly look at passages of Scripture throughout the whole Bible, a place for you to take notes, quotes I want to share with you to hopefully help you be able to think about this and remember more of what we have talked about. So that's kind of the big picture of it all. So let's dive into our introduction to the attributes of God. So to get started, I want you to look at the person next to you and take 30 seconds and describe for them your best friend or maybe you're sitting next to them, so figure out how you describe the person sitting next to you. If there's no one next to you, you can get in groups of three, but take a minute with the people around you, and how would you describe your best friend? Okay, so, so what are some of the words you heard from other people as you describe your best friend? What are, what are some of the words you guys heard from each other? What's that? Loyal. Trustworthy. Truth teller. 
Committed? Transparent. Transparent, yeah. So as you hear all these words, these are attributes. You've been, you basically just described the attributes of your best friend to the people sitting around you. So if you open up your handout to the second page there, you'll see this section right here. So what are, when we're talking about attributes, what are we talking about? Attributes are characteristics or qualities of a person or a thing. So you just described the attributes of the person you were describing with the people around you. Well, now that's easy because you're talking about your best friend. How in the world do we describe the attributes of God? How do we describe God's characteristics? And that's an astronomical challenge for us. And you see the weight of that in these two quotes here on your handout here. One is from a guy named Maximus the Confessor. He was a theologian in the 500s. And he says, whoever has seen God and has understood what he saw, he has seen nothing. So here we are trying to describe God. And if we can really do that really well, we probably don't understand what we're seeing here. Similarly, Anselm, who was a theologian of the 11th century, said, we believe that thou art a being than which nothing greater can be conceived. So it's one thing for us to describe our best friend to other people. How do we describe God with who he is? Here's the challenge for us. If you see some scriptures on your handout, Isaiah 40, 25. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. We're trying to describe one whom God himself says that no one can compare to him. Or Psalm 145, 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. So we are trying to describe the attributes of one who is unsearchable. Psalm 147, 5. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. And we're trying to describe the attributes of one who is beyond measure. Or Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How, here it is again, unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Or 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. He was the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable life, whom no one has ever seen or can see to him beyond an eternal dominion. Amen. This is the one whom we are trying to describe his attributes. So how do we describe a God like that? Well, friends, thankfully, God has described himself for us. And so we don't have to make this up. God has revealed himself to us. That is the hope for us, is that God wants to be known. And God has shown himself and revealed himself to us. And he's done so in Scripture. So we go to the Scripture, to the Bible, because the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, shows us who God is. Now, how does it show us who God is in his own self-revelation? Well, the challenge is the Bible's not a textbook. So in our study, I can't tell you, tonight we're going to find book two of the Bible called Who is God? I want you to find chapter 13 in, on his nature, section 13 on his goodness, and subheading two under his patience. Like, that's not how the Bible is structured for us. So the Bible is a redemptive story, God's story of who he is and his plans in the world, and yet it reveals to us God's nature, not by giving us a chapter on his nature, but rather showing us things. It shows us his words and his actions. The reason you were able to describe your best friend to the person sitting next to you is because you've seen their actions and you've seen, heard their words. And so you can say, oh, my friend is loyal because you've seen the loyalty of your friend. When we look at the pages of Scripture, we see the actions of God. We see the words of God. And so we can describe who he is. But even more than that, God has shown us his names. The Bible's full of the names of God and he's revealed himself to us in his names. And so our youth tonight are starting their study on the names of God, which is a fantastic study. That's not what we're doing, but that'd be a good study for another time. We learn about the nature of God because he's revealed himself in scripture through images. That he's a father, he's a shepherd, he's the light, he's a shield to us. There's all these images that show us the nature 
of God. And that's another great study, but that's also not for this semester as well. What we're looking at are his attributes, his characteristics as they're revealed throughout all the pages of Scripture. What we're doing is a section of theology called systematic theology, where you look from Genesis to Revelation to see everything you can find on some particular topic. And here for us is the nature of God. We're trying to summarize what we see from the whole Bible. Let Scripture guide our study. Now, depending on when you read and what theologians you read, you may hear attributes of God called by other names. Sometimes it's called his virtues. Sometimes it's called his nature. Sometimes it's perfections. But regardless of the title you use, we're looking at systematically the whole of Scripture to learn what we can about the nature of God. Now, turn back to the front page here. There was a scripture on the front of it, Psalm 145 here. And so Psalm 145 is a beautiful beautiful psalm where you see so, so many of the attributes of God. Now, if you have a pen with you, I want you to grab your pen. And I'm about to read it out loud. And as I read it, I want you to either underline or circle every attribute of God that you see in this psalm. So I'm just going to read it out loud. And you just read along looking at it and mark any attribute of God you see here. I will extol you, my God and King. And bless your name forever and ever. Every day I'll bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. And I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hands, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever. I see a lot of pens marking that out. There's a lot of the attributes of God in there. And so one of the questions when you get to your discussion groups tonight is going to be, how many attributes of God do you see in this psalm? And you'll have a chance in your small groups tonight to talk about what are some of the attributes of God that you see in this particular passage, friends. And that's just one text. As we study from Genesis to Revelation, we will get to see the attributes of God. Now, friends, I want you to realize as we think about the attributes of God, when people talk about God, they are describing his attributes, though not always correctly. When you hear someone say something like, oh, a loving God could never send anyone to hell. Well, that's wrong, but they have conclusions about the nature of God that would let them say something like that. When someone says, oh, God just desires for you to be happy in life, they have beliefs about the attributes of God that is shaping what they are saying. And when someone in a trial says, my hope is in the faithfulness of God, and this, they're describing the attributes of God. The reality is anyone who talks about God talks about his attributes. The question is, are we talking about them correctly? 
And so we go from Genesis to Revelation and say, okay, what has God self-revealed to us about his nature? How is God a God of love? How is God a God of wrath? And we look at the totality of Scripture to see what God has told us about himself. I was kind of bring that together. When we talk about the attributes of God, what are we talking about? And here's a definition for you. The bottom of that second page here, the first page of the notes, you see at the bottom it says the attributes of God. There's a quote from W.T. Connor. This was a professor at a Southwestern Seminary in 1936, but it's one of the best definitions I've found of attributes, even though it's old. Connor says this, the attributes of God are those qualities or characteristics of the divine being by virtue of which he is distinguished from all created beings and without which he would not be worthy of the worship and the service of men. Now think about that definition for just a minute here. It says that they're characteristics of the divine being. They're divine characteristics. These are things that are unique to God, things that make him uniquely God. It says they distinguish him. These are things about him that are different than us. Now some of them are things that are completely different from us that we cannot experience, like being everywhere at any point in time. There are things like, about him that we can share in part. He is holy and he calls us to be holy, that we can experience it to the level that he does. And so there's still things that separate him from us. They distinguish him as divine, as separate. And it says there are things without which he would not be worthy. These are things that make him worthy of worship. They describe the perfections of God and they make him worthy of worship. Now, a quick clarification for us in this. When people talk about the attributes of God, there's some that people are drawn to, love, mercy, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, right? And there's some that people don't like to talk about, jealousy, wrath, judgment, holiness, those type things. These are not good and bad attributes of God. Every attribute of God is good, and they all are things that he, for which he is worthy of worship. Even his wrath and his jealousy are things that make him worthy of worship and that distinguish him from the rest of creation. So turn the page there. Here's kind of the big picture for us before we jump into particular attributes. Studying the attributes of God is not just an intellectual task for us. Studying the attributes of God should lead us to worship and to the service of God. This is not a head knowledge Bible study for us that we're studying about God. This is to go to our hearts so that we long to worship and serve and better know the one we're talking about. A.W. Tozer says this about the attributes of God. He said, it's vitally important that we should think soundly about God. Since he is the foundation of all of our religious beliefs, it follows that if we err in our ideas of God, we will go astray in everything else. But the flip side of that is true as well. If we understand God for who he really is, who he's revealed himself to be in all the pages of Scripture, it will strengthen us to follow him and strengthen us to obey him and do what he has called us to do. So by God's grace, this is what we want to see happen as we think about his attributes. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24 Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. And there's that combination there, to understand who he is, but not just to know about him, but to know him personally, to know that I am the Lord who practices it here. Some attributes, steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things, these things of understanding and knowing God, I delight, declares the Lord. We're Colossians 1, 9 and 10. So from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as, well, we know the truth of God, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so our desire is not just to know about God, 
but it's to know him as we study more about him in his word. I love what J.I. Packer says. He says, our concern must be to enlarge our acquaintance, not simply with the doctrine of God's attributes, but with the living God whose attributes they are. As he is the subject of our study and our helper in it, so he must himself be the end of it. We must seek in studying God to be led to God. It was for this purpose that revelation was given. It is to this use that we must put it. And so my challenge for myself and for you all as we study this together is, yes, we're going to learn a lot of head knowledge about God, but we pray it goes to our hearts where we know him for who he is so that he is the end because we want to know him better. As you think about something, friend, just to help us stretch us in this, think about something. God is so infinite and so great, and we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come, that when we get to heaven one day and we see him face to face, we're not going to perfectly understand him. For all eternity, we'll be learning more about him. His infinite is so great that a trillion years from now, you and I will still be in awe and wonder because we will still be discovering more of the wonders of his justice and holiness and righteousness and goodness and all of those attributes. So all eternity is a continual learning and experiencing more and more of not just knowing about God, but knowing God. So in light of all that, how are we going to organize our particular study? Again, the scripture doesn't give us book one is on this part of God's nature. Book two is on this. It's just the whole story of God. We see all of his attributes. So we're going to break it down to two categories. There's lots of ways people try to talk about attributes of God. This is the way my brain works and what I've been drawn to over the years. Two big categories of God's attributes. The first are called the incommunicable attributes of God. Now, to communicate something means you share something, right? So an incommunicable means it's not shareable. These are the things of God's nature that he does not share with us. So for example, his omnipresence. God is everywhere. No matter how hard you and I try, I can't even get into two places at the same time. That'd be so convenient, right? But we can't do that. God is omnipresent. We are not. That is an incommunicable attribute of God. He does not share that with his creation. Now, these are the most misunderstood of all the attributes because they're so unlike anything that we have or know. They're the least like our experience, being everywhere, or God is unchanging. I change in my moods from moment to moment like you do as well. God doesn't. So the fact that God never changes is hard for our minds to get around. Those are incommunicable attributes of God. Now, we're going to start with those as we go through our study. But there's a second category that we'll get to the second half of the study. This is called the communicable attributes of God. These are the attributes of God that he shares with us in part. Not in full, but in part. So we'll talk about it. We'll get to this in Genesis in the weeks to come, maybe months to come. But where we're made in the image of God. Because we're made in the image of God, we reflect certain parts of his character. So God is a God of love. We can express a love too. God is a God of holiness, and he says, be holy as I am holy. God is a God of grace, and he calls us to show grace. God is a God who loves justice, and he calls us to stand up for the poor and the oppressed. So these are communicable attributes of God that we share in part. Now, as we think about the communicable attributes of God, we're going to break the traditional order just a little bit. Because if we get towards the end of the study, if we follow the normal order, we'd have a really, really fun month where we're talking about God's love and kindness and faithfulness and goodness. Then we have a pretty hard month the next month. Justice, wrath, jealousy, holiness. And so we're going to kind of mix those up. Again, there's not good and bad. We'll take one that we're more drawn to, like his goodness, and follow up with his wrath. Talk about his mercy and talk about his justice. We're going to kind of mix those up as we go through, which is not the traditional way of doing it, but it's a way I think will help serve us carry on with the very weighty ones, with the ones that tend to give us more hope than as we'll see all of them should give us hope. Now, before we jump into the first attribute, there's a great 
thought for us from Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers who've lived in recent centuries. He said this, no subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. And friends, that's what we want to see happen this semester, is for our minds to be humbled as we realize God is God and we are not, and God is infinite and we are not, and we see how vast he is and how finite we are, but also for our minds to be enlarged and have awe in response to who God is. So that's kind of our big picture of what we hope to do this semester, and so you know the terminology and what we're looking at. Now, there's one attribute we're going to start with tonight. It's a brief one, but it's foundational to everything else we'll talk about, and it's an attribute called the unity of God. So if you turn the page, if you're not there yet, it's a page with several diagrams on it. The unity of God. Now, what do we mean by the unity of God? Quite simply, it means God is not divided into parts. God is not divided into parts. Now, some theologians over the years, more so older than newer, called this God's simplicity. Well, we don't use that term as much anymore because it doesn't communicate the same thing. If you said to someone, he is so simple, that's not really a compliment, at least in the South, right? You know, that's not a word we usually think of in a very positive way. So when you say God is simple, and the culture in that doesn't really communicate what people meant when we said that God is simple. When people say God is simple, that is a awe-inspiring, glorifying term, not a put-down like it would be in our culture. So I choose to use the term God is unified or the unity of God instead. Now, what do we mean by that? Let's start by what we do not mean, and that will help us understand what we do mean. So the first thing we do not mean is that first diagram on the left. You see what looks like this conglomeration of the attributes of God. The unity of God means that God is not a collection of his attributes. In other words, God is not, you can't just put in love, mercy, justice, mixed together, and boom, you've got God, okay? God is not just some collection of his attributes. It also means God is not partly love in this part of God and partly justice over here, nor is there one attribute that is central. You don't have like love in the middle and everything else radiating out from it. God is not a collection of attributes. God is just God, and he is fully every attribute all the time. Second diagram, this also shows us that God's attributes are not external to him. They're not added on his being. It's not that you have God here, and he goes, ooh, I've made people. I think I'm going to learn to love them, and so he sticks love onto his being. Or he's like, ooh, I think I can do what I'm going to do, so he sticks power on. This isn't, these aren't peripheral things to God. When we talk about the power of God, it's the central part of who he is, so they're not peripheral to him. So God is not a collection of attributes, nor does God have his attributes that are somehow external to him. So when we talk about the unity of God, you see there in that bold in the middle of the page, every attribute of God is completely true of all of God's character all of the time. <laughs> so your key word is the word all there. We talk about the attributes of God. He is fully all of his attributes all of the time there. Every attribute of God is completely true at every point in history and always will be. So when First John tells us God is light, there's not a point or a place where God is not light. If we see that God is love in 1 John 4, that doesn't mean there's some points God is not love. He is fully always light all the time. He is fully always love all the time. He's fully always jealous all the time. He's fully always holy all the time. He's fully always gracious all the time. He's fully always everything. He is different than anything we know. So when he appears before Moses, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God. Now notice, here come some attributes. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, <clears throat> forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. A lot of people like to stop there, but it goes on. Because at the same time, God is all those. He also, notice this, he will by no means clear the guilty, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So God is fully all of his attributes all of the time. They are who he is, not things peripheral to him. You see a quote here from Wayne Grudem, who's a systematic theologian I love. He's the one where I got these graphs from. He says, we must remember that God's whole being includes all of his attributes. He is entirely loving, entirely merciful, entirely just, and so forth. Every attribute of God that we find in Scripture is true of all of God's being, and we therefore can say that every attribute of God qualifies every other attribute. So you see that little circle at the bottom. And this is Gruden's best way of trying to represent. He said, imagine holiness as a line, but it's a continuous line that circles everything. And there's the power of God that circles everything. All those lines are just completely circling everything because God is fully everything all of the time. He's not in a merciful mood today and a jealous mood tomorrow. He's not going to be merciful right here, but um, not merciful here. These are fully who he is all the time. And so Gruden says the only way our little tiny finite minds can, can view this is not this conglomeration of attributes, not attributes around him, but rather each line is an attribute that perfectly circles him because it's who he is all of the time. Now, what does that have to do with our daily life? What does this mean for us? So turn the page to page five. Several truths for us out of this that we need to understand. The unity of God means, number one, none of God's attributes compete with or quarrel with each other. God is not like, oh, I want to do that, but I don't know how to do that. It's like, what am I going to do here? God's attributes don't quarrel. And perhaps for me, the best quote I ever heard of this, of how all of his attributes work together, was from John Piper. He said, the wisdom of God devised a way for the love of God to deliver sinners from the wrath of God while not compromising the righteousness of God. And so there you have all of his attributes working together. His wrath is not at all compromised. His justice is not compromised. But his love is on full display. His mercy is on full display. And it's all working together because it's not like God's mercy and justice are fighting each other of what's going to win. They're all working together because they're all of who God is all of the time. His mercy and his justice together express his one unchanging nature. So God's attributes don't compete or quarrel with each other. Number two, none of God's attributes can be separated from each other. Everything about God is true all the time. So we, we have a God who is unchanging and consistent in this. That means God is consistently wrathful and gracious always in this. You can't separate one from the other. That means in our culture, you can't pull the love of God out and let that be the trump attribute over everything else. All the attributes go together, which is number three. No attribute is more important than another attribute. The unity of God means you can't say God is a God of love, period. The unity of God means that, yes, God is a God of love, but he's also a God of great jealousy for his name. And yes, he's a God of grace, but he's also a God of justice. No attribute trumps the other attributes. Number four, though, we also need to remember God's attributes never change. Mr. Sonny and I were talking about that before everything began tonight. God is unchanging. His attributes are unchanging. I can be kind one day and really grumpy the next day, as maybe you can too. We are very changing in the expression of our nature and attributes. God never changes. That has profound implications for how you read scripture. Because there's a really wrong mindset in our culture that in the Old Testament, God's a God of wrath, and the New Testament, God's a God of grace. Friends, that's not true. God is always all of his attributes all of the time, and so you cannot separate the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament. God is unchanging, and his attributes never change, and he never changes. That leads to number five. It is God himself and his whole being whom we seek to know, worship, and serve. Friends, so much in our culture and around the world, we have gods of our own imagination. We've invented a God who winks at sin, who's the grandfather who thinks everything's okay, just wants to love you and bless you and give you a good thing and doesn't really care if you obey him or not. 
That's our own imagination of who God is, not his self-revelation of a God who has all these attributes fully all the time. A.W. Tozer said, I thought said it really well here in this quote. He says, God has no parts any more than a diamond has parts. God is all one God, and everything that God, <coughs> everything that God does harmonizes with everything else that God does perfectly because there are no parts to get out of joint and no attributes to face against each other and fight it out. All God's attributes are one and together. Everything that God is and does harmonizes with everything else that God is and does. I probably should not even use the word harmony, for harmony requires at least two that get together and for a time become one, but there's nothing like that in God. God just is. You feel his struggle to try to describe this? Like my brain hurts reading that because we're trying to fathom how an unchanging God who's fully always, all his attributes, all the time, relates to his creation. These truths, friends, can be hard for us to grasp because we do not have unity like this. This is incommunicable. I am not unified. You are not unified. My attributes argue with each other regularly. Yesterday, my justice and my patience had an argument within myself. Not out loud or people think I'm crazy, but I was really ticked off. And the justice in me was just going to make everything right. But then part of me is going, well, but God calls us to be patient and loving. And so my attributes were having an argument inside me over which one would prevail. Now, through the afternoon, the justice was close to prevailing. And thank you about God's grace, I have a wife who was able to talk me down into back into more patience last night. But my attributes quarrel with each other throughout the day, and I'm changing. God does not do that. He is fully all of his attributes all the time, and he is unchanging. So we need to remember that because it's hard for us to grasp, but it's who he is. It's an incommunicable attribute of God. <clears throat> now, God's unity does give us hope there. Bottom of page five, this is so important for us. There's hope in this. This is not just a random theological concept for us. There's much, much hope in the truth of God's unity, or the author I quote here, his simplicity. Look at what Mark Jones says here, and I found this just hopeful and encouraging. He says, the simplicity of God, or the unity of God, helps us to fully appreciate, as we should, the glorious promise found in Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose... Because God is goodness, he can make this promise. But his goodness is also his power, so that he is powerfully good. Yet he is also wise, so he's powerfully good and powerfully wise. Add to this that God is unchangeably powerful and wise and good. Or his power is his goodness, and in his wisdom is his unchangeability. We can therefore trust that all things are working together for our good, because our God is wisdom, power, goodness, and immutability. It means unchangeableness. And he does for us necessarily involves all these attributes. All he does for us necessarily involves all these attributes. So friends, as we start with the unity of God, this is not just some philosophical concept to wrestle with in a coffee shop. This is our hope. When you and I look at the promises of Scripture, we can trust them because God is good. Because God is unchanging, we know he will do what he's, done, he's promised to do. Because God is all-powerful, we don't have to be like, oh, I hope God can really do what he said he will do. And because he is holy, we know what he's willed to do is right. Because he has wisdom, we know that we can trust him. Even if it doesn't make sense to us, all this comes together, knowing that God is unified. We don't have to wonder, oh, is God in a fateful mood today? Oh, do you think God can actually do today what he told me he'd do last year? No, we can trust God because he's fully all of his attributes all the time. And so, friends, I'm excited for us as we journey through this semester. We get to study the Scriptures together to see a God who's revealed himself to us in the pages of Scripture. He's invited us to come get to know him. And he desires for us to better know him so that we can abide in him and trust him and delight in his presence. So as we walk through all this, as we discuss things together, don't miss that big picture view. This is not just so we can know about God. 
and so we can know about God, so we can better know God and delight in him and enjoy his presence. So all that in view, turn to the back, the last page of this. In just a minute, we're going to dismiss to our discussion groups. And these are the questions I want you to talk about in there. I want you to, someone in the group, read Psalm 145 out loud together. And just start talking about what are the attributes you find. Just kind of go through that and see how many attributes you can find of God in that one psalm. I want to talk about from Jeremiah 9, 24. We looked at it tonight. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord. What does it mean to know God? Is it possible to know a lot about God but not know God? So how do we turn, for this study, how do we turn our knowledge about God into knowing God? So I want you all to talk about that, of how do we move from head knowledge to heart knowledge and delight in the Lord here. Um, I want us to think more about what we mentioned briefly earlier, that for all eternity we'll never stop learning more about God, and how does that shape our view of eternity? Can we have confidence when we get to heaven we will, we will not suddenly realize everything we thought about God was wrong? How can we have confidence that we are believing correctly? Then I give you a quote from an ancient scholar to get us thinking. If you have trouble going to sleep tonight, you can ponder this one somewhere, right? How do you spare the wicked God if you are just? How can God spare the wicked if he is just? So how does the unity of God help us answer that question? And then kind of last two are big picture personal questions. Of all the attributes we'll study, which ones do you think about the most and why? Which ones do you kind of not think about as much and why? What happens if we only focus on the attributes of God we like? And is there an attribute that you're most excited about learning more about? Maybe like, I've never really thought about God's jealousy. I wonder what that means. And then lastly, how do you think a larger view of God would change your daily lives. That's a lot you can talk about. You may not have time to get to all that, but I hope you'll be able to get to some of those in your small groups. And if not, take these home. These are yours to keep. And you can keep looking at the questions and keep pondering them this week. So I want to pray for us, and then we'll dismiss again. The, the ladies going just where the ladies will be in, in room two. The men will be in room four, and the couples will be in room one. If you're not familiar with it, just go out the breezeway, out these double doors into the gym building, and they'll be just past the restrooms in rooms one, two, and four. And we got the signs marked on it. But let me pray for us. Father, there's so much we can learn about you. Lord, your word tells us so much about your greatness and your majesty and who you are. And so, God, we are thankful that you've not hidden yourself from us. That, God, that you're a revealing God and you've shown us who you are. And so I pray for tonight, but also for this whole semester, as we study these truths together, that, Lord, we would be humbled to realize how great you are and how sinful and finite and limited we are. But, Lord, I pray that we would have our hearts full of hope as we realize your greatness, that we would see how these attributes of you give us hope and confidence to face every day. So Lord, would you take these truths in our head and take them deep in our hearts through the work of your Holy Spirit to where we come away each night, not just knowing more concepts, but come away in awe and wonder that we get to know you. So would you bless these discussion times that we have now and even the prayer times in our groups, would you use them tonight, Lord, to deepen our understanding of who you are. We ask it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.